Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Magnum Talks TV. I am Lee. I am here. I'm joined by Spencer Spencer. Say hey to the people. Hey, everybody. We are in the middle. Well, not in the middle. We're at the beginning of reviewing Disney Plus's series, The Mandalorian. This is a live-action Star Wars uh, television show that is set five years after the Return of the Jedi. We're on episode two called The Child. You could call it Baby Yoda. They, they, they've been pushing for the child, and the general populace said that is not the name. The name is Baby Yoda. But yeah, it's a very Baby Yoda-heavy episode. Spencer, what'd you think? I quite enjoyed it. I also, like you, quite enjoyed the fact that they are just so determined to get us to accept that the name of this creature is the child. Just in the subtitles and all the bylines and all the production, it is the child, and it's just not working. It's Baby Yoda. We're sorry. It happened. It's a cultural thing now. Well, what's so funny, and we talked about this last episode, is I rejected the Baby Yoda moniker, just like the showrunner John Favreau. I'm like, it can't be Yoda. Yoda died in Empire Strikes Back. This five years after Return of the Jedi. The kid's 50 years old. It doesn't make any sense. And finally, I gave up. And, you know, if you look at the promo... So one of the things Star Wars did, which I thought was really kind of brave in a way, is they did not release the characters to the toy manufacturers before this series came out. So mm-hmm. what that meant was when Baby Yoda came on screen at the end of episode one and we got more of them in episode two, there was no Baby Yoda toys. So it took a long time before they actually were able to manufacture proper Baby Yoda toys licensed by Disney, that whole thing. And Spencer, would you know that they're still calling it the child? Like if you buy a <laughs> Disney licensed, like, I don't know, plush, you know, stuffed animal or something of this, uh, of, of Baby Yoda, it says on the tag, the child. I almost picture at Walmart, they've got employees with Sharpies just penciling in Baby Yoda on the item just so that everybody knows what they're buying. It's like, I, I, I like Baby Yoda. Well, sorry, we don't have any of those. It's like, no, no, it's over there. It's over there. I see it. <laughs> well, Favreau got owned on Twitter because he did a little bit of a Twitter rant about people calling it Baby Yoda. Mm-hmm. And somebody responded and said, well, if you would just tell us the species name, species name yeah. we can do that. But you guys are withholding the species name. So this is all we have. And he was just like, good point. Yeah, it's yeah, a good point. Sorry it isn't, it, isn't an interesting situation of where the point of language is to convey information. And the child is inherently ambiguous. You put that out and you're going to meet a lot of children over the course of this show. And, you, and when you're saying it, you don't say it with the capital C. Baby Yoda, you know exactly what they mean. And until we have greater species information, that's the main data point we have to work from. Absolutely. All right, let's jump into the recap, then we'll do our segments, which include best line of the episode. Not a lot of lines this episode. It's a very action-heavy episode. And mm-hmm. then we'll do nostalgic moment of the episode, which I'm very interested to see what you have. And mm-hmm. we'll get notes on that, Spencer. You want to plug anything from Mangum Reads? Uh, Mangum Reads, we have, or we are on the verge of finishing up the second book of Harry Potter, The Chamber of Secrets, uh, which, while the penultimate chapter was disappointing, the last chapter is bliss and be a lot of fun to talk about. Uh, we are also working our way through Naimanovic's Spinning Silver, which is a delightful fantasy tale as a spin on classic, fantasy, uh, classic fantasies and fairy tales, which has been a lot of fun. we got one more episode left on it in terms of going through world building, and it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. Great. And uh, for folks who listen, because I'm looking at the numbers, I know we have a number of people who listen to Mangum Talks TV who don't necessarily listen to Whiskey on the Weekends. I would urge you to give Whiskey on the Weekends a shot right now because we're doing a week-by-week uh, coronavirus quarantine episodes where we're all drinking from our own supply and we're all really just talking about what's going on in the world and how we're dealing with it. It's a lot different tone than our normal whiskey on the weekends. And I think it's a good listen. So check it out. Mm-hmm. All right, let's jump into the recap. Uh, we start with Mando walking through the desert planet with the child. Do we know what planet this is now, Spencer? Have they said? 
I think they, get, they said it to us in a prior episode, but it's not it's not one we've seen really before. Right. A big thing for the folks who care about the canon. Not Tatooine. Not Tatooine at all. <laughs> the child is in some sort of pod. Now, let me tell you about my thought on the pod. I, until the very end of this, toward the very end of this episode, I thought he, the child was out levitating the pod on his own. Me too. Very much so. <laughs> I thought he was using the force to do it. I double-checked. It's Arvala 7 is the name of this world. Definitely one we've never heard of before. Arvala 7. Okay. So I thought he was just, you know, elevating this pod with the force. That's not the case. We'll find that out later. Um, it's interesting to see, to me, how often... It's interesting to me how often Mando has to walk long distances. Like, this guy really needs a scooter. It's one of the interesting things to see about this, of where he's not that well-equipped or that no. much of a veteran. He mm-hmm. really is kind of flying by the seat of his pants. He's got an old ship. He's got a bit of gear. It's well-equipped for bounty hunting, but in terms of luxuries, like, you know, a speeder you can take to go from point A to point B, he doesn't have any of that shit. No, he doesn't. And he actually, what we find out is that his armor is old and he needs new armor. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, this job, getting the child or Baby Yoda, it was so uh, important to him because the client was offering Beskar Steel, which could help him forge new armor. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, he really is not well equipped at all and you kind of get the impression that he he has a good reputation in part because he's talented but in large part because of the mandalorian people but he probably isn't the best mandalorian bounty hunter no and i think it as we'll see really in the next episode he's a very junior member of even the immediate coven that he's part of Mm -hmm. where he has not he like you said he's very much working off the reputation of his people rather than necessarily what he's done himself he's had a good initial record but I think really what we kind of pick up is that he's relatively new to this game. He's a pretty young guy in terms of uh, prior experience. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and we have the first of many very cute Baby Yoda uh, <laughs> moments where Baby Yoda, Mando seems just absolutely miserable in this walk. Baby Yoda having a grand old time. Just oh, yeah. head out the pod, looking around, ears are going back and forth. Little guy's having a good time. Yeah, and it's also interesting to see, too, that the world itself seems to be responding to maybe Baby Yoda a little bit. Is that there's a lot of wildlife that is suddenly just coming out of the woodwork to just follow Mando and Yoda as they're mm-hmm. going. May just be that they're curious, someone's walking through their tunnels, but I'm inclined to think that they're feeling something off Baby Yoda. Yeah, and we get more evidence of that, that people, um, different species, and then some animals uh, still do, uh, do that throughout the, the course of the season. Gravitate to him. Yep. Mando looks around. He senses danger. Someone jumps out and attacks him. Other folks join in, so it's now it's like a one-on-three. Uh, Spencer, are these bounty hunters? And here's why I ask, because one looks very similar to a bounty hunter we saw with Darth Vader in Empire Strikes Back, where he looks kind of like a dinosaur. It is very good call, sir. These are indeed Trendoshans. These are very much, I think the name of that bounty hunter was Bosk or something like that. Bosk, and, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah um, and yeah, these are... Cl- it, I love, love in these first two episodes, they're going through the classic bounty hunter races, just checking them off. Because, yeah, Trandoshans are one of the classic examples of bounty hunter groups, or at least very common bounty hunters, in the Star Wars universe. And seeing three of them just throw down with uh, Mando is just great. Yeah, and that should be no surprise, because when we had the IG droid show up to the, the compound where Baby Yoda was at at the end of last episode, we realized that the client had given out these tracking fobs, which I still don't know how those work, mm-hmm. uh, to many different people. So it, it, this is, by introducing that, you now have this element of uncertainty going forward. Like, when is a bounty hunter just going to show up and fight Panda? Because it could just happen at any point. 
it's been fun with those. I've been watching it with Bridget, uh, rewatching it with Bridget, and she hates things that don't have answers. She just can't tolerate them. So I've had to invent explanations for how the tracking fobs work and adjust them over time, just because she can't <laughs> tolerate that there's not an explanation for those things. Yeah, it's pretty frustrating. Uh, but it, it, but it does introduce this this concept that. Yes. It's always dangerous for Baby Yoda. And that, spoiler alert, folks, that goes throughout the entire season. That does not go away. Yeah, and one, one of the key things that we still don't know here is whether it's in some way connected to the pod or connected to Yoda. And I don't think necessarily Mando even fully understands at this point. No, he doesn't seem to know. Mando makes camp. He does some work to repair his body armor as Baby Yoda looks on. Interesting sequence here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go through what happened. I'm going to tell you what I thought when I watched it the first time and what I think it is now. So Baby Yoda comes over to try to touch him. He gets out of the pod. He kind of shuffles over. Cute little walk, by the way. Oh, my God. Uh, Mando puts him back. Baby Yoda gets out again, lifts up his hand, trying to reach toward Mando. Mando puts him back. I think this may happen three times. And then finally, Mando closes the pod. At the first time, I thought, this is a kid being a kid. How cute. The second time? Now, upon rewatching, I have a theory, um, which is that... He, he, Baby Yoda was confused because Mando was trying to fix his armor, but mm. it was on his arm and he was like, you know, really f- fussing with it and using fire and stuff. And I think Baby Yoda was going over there to try to heal him. I think you were very much correct. And it's dark, but I, I brightened up a little bit. There is a pronounced cut on his arm that he's initially treating from where oh, one of those okay. Trandoshan, um, they're, they're using some kind of melee weapon, gets through his armor a little bit. Because like you said, his armor is kind of... It, I wouldn't exactly just yeah. say it's cobbled together, but it's not proper Beskar steel in any sense. So he got a pretty nasty cut on his arm. And yeah, I very much agree, particularly from what we see later on in the show, that Yoda is apparently very much either instinctually or otherwise aware of how his Force abilities work. And is very much reaching over to help Mando right there. Yep. Three different times, I think, he tried to heal him. And good, good call on the fact that he actually had a cut. I didn't see that, but that makes it even, you know much more of a stronger theory if he actually saw a cut on his mm-hmm. own. The next morning, Mando gets back to his ship and the Jawas are sacking it. Shout out Jawas. It's so great to see Jawas again. Oh and my see God. Them. It's great. <laughs> and more than ever before, this scene summarizes that, okay, there's a reason these guys just aren't wiped out on whatever planet that they're on. They actually are kind of skilled at what they want to do. I know. And you know, I got the impression in watching this episode that Favreau just loved the Jawas. Oh, because yeah. it, this really it bolsters the credibility of the Jawas because when we see them in the original three movies, episode four, five, and six, I wouldn't say that we think they're particularly astute. They kind of look like they're scavengers, but they're also kind of like dumb. Yeah. These guys don't look dumb. Yeah, and, and to be fair, these are immigrant Jawas. They have chosen to transport themselves to another world and apparently somehow either find or bring a sand crawler with them. Because this is not, they're native to Tatooine as far as I remember. So the, maybe these are the particularly industrious Jawas that have set off a new course for themselves. See, I think that introduces an interesting question because I'm not sure we know they're native to Tatooine. We it's know true. they're in Tatooine. It's true. It was part of the legacy canon, but even that, even the legacy canon, it was just kind of assumed just because they were there. Right. So it's very much possible that they've that they've either gone to other worlds or just maybe like so many other things just ended up on Tatooine and became nativized there yeah so hard to tell uh but anyway Jawas are there they're sacking the ship they have a sand crawler and Mando starts sniping them the Jawas freak out get back on their cruiser and just peace the hell out of there I, I can see why Darth Vader instructed Boba Fett not to use disintegration because that gun is 
evil. That is a cruel weapon that Mando uses right there over the course of this episode. Oh my God, yeah. I mean, it, it, so what Spencer's explaining there is that he has this big sniping rifle, and when he, he hits the Jawa, they literally just disintegrate. They into pop. Nothing. Yeah, yeah, they you, pop. It's crazy. You used it in one of the Trandoshans, too, in the earlier scene, and it is just instantly lethal. Unless you've got some kind of armor that reflects it or whatever else, you cease to exist. And he... In a way that almost just shows that he, though he's our protagonist, he is casually brutal. He just straight murders three of these Jawas. They are stealing from him, but it's still really brutal from a protagonist in a Star Wars series. Right. Mando runs after them. He jumps on their, uh, the, the sand crawler. Mando just about gets sandwiched near some rock. He yeah. really jumps out of harm's way. Mando now climbing up the side of the cruiser. This is a scene where, you know, it's harkening back to the what the theme they're going for in this series, which is the spaghetti western. This is the... The sort of action, the action sequence where a guy's on a horse and he's trying to mm-hmm. jump on the other horse and jump on a wagon and that sort of thing. That's kind of what this is. Mm-hmm. Mando um, now climbing up the side of the cruiser. a little grappling hook that's built into his armor that he uses. And the Jawas are throwing stones down on him. Uh, he's throwing some of the Jawas out as he's walking up or, or, or yeah, walking up the side of the sand cruiser. Mm-hmm. He gets to the top and they shoot him. Uh, shocks him. My question for you, Spencer, why didn't they just shoot him when he was climbing up? Um... A, it may have been a rough angle. They may not have been wanting to expose themselves because, like, the couple people that were actually did expose themselves got tossed. And also, just from a semant- uh, you know a filming standpoint, it makes for a delightful shock. You know, That's right. Yeah, pun intended. Yep. <laughs> Good work. And he shocks him. Mando falls down. He wakes up to see Baby Yoda watching him. So what this tells me is that while I don't think Baby Yoda, Yoda is using the pod with force... He still has some level of control over where it goes because Mando's unconscious and Baby Yoda follows him. It, it, it's interesting because we, we see when Mando is going up the thing that Baby Yoda is kind of speeding along afterwards, but we didn't see like that Mando pressed a button for it to control it or not. So I agree. It's kind of ambiguous to what degree that Baby Yoda is controlling this or whether Mando just kind of set it to home. And there's maybe an inconsistency in the show because later on, um, there's an attack and someone is going at Baby Yoda and it's incumbent upon Mando to actually enter something on his wrist to move the pod. Right. So I'm not quite sure how that all jives. Yeah. Yeah, man. Mando gets back to his ship and he sees it's been stripped. Baby Yoda, so damn cute, watching the whole time and Mando sets out. Yeah, and when you say stripped, you're putting it in mildly. This thing has been... Re- I mean, Mando briefly tries to turn it on, to which my response was, even if the engines worked, are you going to try to breach atmosphere with that? You've got just air if you reach your right hand out right now. The Jawas have just utterly ruined this thing. Yep. Uh, And Mando and Baby Yoda arrive at Quill's house. Mm Mm-hmm. Not surprising he goes back to Quill. Quill seemed like a good hang, and he's the only real person he knows on the planet. Mm Mm-hmm. Quill sees Baby Yoda and drops this line. I nominate this for line of the episode. This is what was causing all the fuss? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, I, I, I don't know what he was expecting, but it definitely wasn't Baby Yoda. Mando explains that his ship was destroyed. Quill explains that it was stripped. It was not destroyed. Quote, the Jawa steal, they don't destroy. Mm-hmm. Very in keeping with the previous canon. Uh, oh, yes. That's that very uh, on brand for the Jawas. Go ahead. If it, if it could have some potential use, a Jawa will repurpose it and then try to sell it to you at a massively marked up price. Yes, they don't destroy. During this exchange, Quill is helping Mando fix part of his armor. Quill says he can trade with the Jawas. Quote, I will take you to them. I have spoken. And it returns. Baby Yoda then eats a frog. 
a frog that's like one third of his body size. So it could be a nostalgic moment of the episode because we see on Dagobah Yoda eating some things that really creep out Luke. Mm-hmm. So it's a good callback there. They arrive. Quill notes that the Jawa really don't like Mando. Can't have guess why. Yeah. Because <laughs> well, I disintegrated a bunch of them. Mm. Quill says he needs to drop his rifle. Mando resists, but Quill insists he has to in order to get his parts back. Quill is such an MVP here, Spencer, because he knows where the Jawas are. He knows their culture. He mm-hmm. can speak their language. He can be a diplomat. Like, Mando would be just completely up a creek here without Quill. Yeah, I, let's establish just from the get-go that if we do MVP of the episode for any of these, Quill wins every episode he's in, particularly these first two. Mando's practically just along for the ride in terms of accomplishing his quest. Quill's the one making it happen. Completely agree. They, uh, The Jawas then request Mando's armor, which inflames Mando. See what I did there? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Mando tries to burn them up. It, it, uh, it is interesting that we've seen before that Mando is also pretty culturally aware himself, though nowhere near to the degree of Quill is, that he actually can speak broken Jawa. Yeah, a little bit. Um, he, he does try to to speak. And I think they, what are the, what's the line that the Jawa <laughs> negotiator says? You sound like a Wookiee. Yeah, which they find hilarious. Mando, as you said, not so much. They then also, eh, really casually suggest Baby Yoda, and that's also a non-starter. Yeah. And Quill asks if there's anything else. The Jawas confer and say they require the egg. The egg! Hooga! 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 <laughs> and I love Quill's reaction when they do this, because this is clearly an old thing for the Jawas. This is like, mm-hmm. oh, God, they're talking about the egg again. Uh, yep. <laughs> I also want to point out here, during this whole exchange, Baby Yoda is looking cute and happy. You know, can we just make that like just a little default, like just a footnote starting off the title page that Baby Yoda is cute? Because we could repeat that with every scene he's in. I still may have to do it. Only because like there are certain scenes, and this is one of them, where he's a little bit more animated. Like he's he's clearly following the conversation, or at least listening in, and his ears are kind of going. Um, so he's a, he's very engaged in this scene. He's not all he's always cute, but he's not always super engaged in every scene. But this one he was. Now, we're gonna see later what this egg is. At this moment, did you have any anticipations or predictions about what this egg was that they were talking about? I would have bet that it was something that wasn't an egg. <laughs> yes, I, I would have thought some kind of you know holy or cultural or artifact yep. <laughs> in some way, something that was named the egg, not literally a giant Cadbury egg. Yeah, I did not expect the oversized three times ostrich egg. Like, I, I didn't think it was that literal, but it, yeah, it's really that literal. Yeah. Uh, the and they were so, they're so excited. They just keep on, what, what, what was it that in the Jawa language that the egg is? Hooga! Hooga! As they're even, in the next scene when they're traveling in the Jawa Sandcrawler, they're just chanting it themselves excitedly as they go. Yep. The Jawas take Mando to the place where the egg is supposedly. Uh, at and Mando goes into a cave looking for the egg and a large animal flings him out into the mud. This is what looks like an outsized rhino. Spencer, do you know what the species is? Uh, it clear. I think it's something they made for this because it has the very uncreative name of Mudhorn. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, yeah, we, we can just call it rhino. Yeah, rhino's fine. <laughs> Mando tries to use his gun, but it jams. Good moment for that. Mm-hmm. The rhino hits Mando hard, flinging him into the ground. Baby Yoda is watching on in horror. Now, this is another moment where I want to call out what Baby Yoda is doing because he's super engaged in this. If he was engaged in anything else before, it's like five times more now. He's worried. He's worried. 
He senses the danger. A couple times he does this move, which just, oh, God, broke my heart, where the ears go down, mm -hmm. and he kind of sinks down into the pod. It's like he's flinching, yeah. He clearly, yep. he's emotionally invested in Mando already. Yep. And, you know, that makes me question. You know, I think the initial assumption you would have is that when Yoda was, baby Yoda was in the compound, those were people who were protecting him. Mm -hmm. But if you think about it, Think about how quickly he has taken to Mando. Yeah. That might make you question how he was being treated in that compound. Because yep. he, he potentially could be, and this is just a theory, he potentially could be seeing Mando as his, his liberator. It's an interesting thing to debate because we really have no information about what that compound was or why those guys were there. And as we, we've talked about before, a lot of it doesn't make necessarily sense about why that number of guys are just in the middle of nowhere. There's a big void there that can be explained later. Another big question I have as well is, what is your assumption to do it in equivalent human years as to how old Baby Yoda is? Because I know a lot of people looked at him like episode one and went, oh, he's a toddler. There's a lot here to suggest maybe he's at least a young child in human terms, but I don't think toddler really fits for a lot of his emotional reactions here. Okay, we can do the math. Let's do it right now. So let's say the average human lives, let's, see, let's just 80 years, right? Good round number, yeah. Sure. Um, so we've got... Yoda, that's our, our point of reference, he lived to be 950 years. Yes. That was old by, I think, even the standards of his people then. All right. Well, then let's up it to like 85. Okay. As a point of comparison. So baby Yoda is five point, about 5.2% as old as Yoda was when he died. Okay. All right. So we can multiply that by 85 and baby Yoda would be 4.47 human years old. And I think, you know, somewhere, I was thinking somewhere between like four and seven would probably be a fitting range of where he's old enough to be engaged in things, to be interactive, to even have a bit of a sense of self-developed. But he's still, yeah, he's still very young. But I don't, yep. I, th I think he's more than like, you know, two. No, yeah, because he, he can walk. Mm -hmm. um, it's not clear if he can talk yet. Um, he does make noises and he does seem to be able to follow dialogue and conversation. And he seems pretty intuitive. Now that might be his force ability. We don't know. But it could be a, an indicator that he's not quite as young as, as maybe you might suspect with his size. Now, there's been some theories before about Yoda's species that it may have just been a partial way of explaining why Yoda has this weird accent. Is that if they're so powerful in the Force, they may not communicate vocally as their standard. For them, Force-related interactions may be their standard method of communication. So he may not have learned to talk or even naturally talk just because that's not how his species works. But again, that's a lot of assumption engaged in there. Like cats. Sure. No, but it, no. Seriously though, because cats, when they're speak, they're communicating between themselves. They do it with nonverbal communication. The only reasons cats meow and that is you know, true. I forgot about you, that. Yowl at you is because they hear humans talking and they're just trying to replicate that. That is actually, I completely forgot about that. That's a very, a very fitting comparison. So it could be that kind of situation going on where he's not communicating with Mando because he doesn't really have any sense of how to communicate with people that aren't just constantly talking in the force. Exactly. All right. Then we, uh, the Rhino charges at baby Yoda and yeah. Mando moves him. This is the moment I was talking about earlier. He moves him, but he looks like he has to furiously do it with a control pad on his wrist. Again, not very clear how this pod works. Mando tries a few other things. Fire, that didn't work. His grappling hook, that doesn't work. That actually backfires because he gets attached to the rhino and the rhino drags him around. <laughs> and the rhino flings him to the ground again in a real big hit. This one, like, 
blows him back probably a good 15, 20 feet. Shatters his armor, too. And Baby Yoda watches on. Mando gets up. Go ahead. Yeah, one thing I, just, I love about this fight, too, is how dirty it is. As I was thinking about that, is that Star Wars fights are often classically rather pristine. It's, you know, almost in a stylized format of everyone works through it, and they end up still relatively clean in, in, at the end of the fight. In this, they are in the mud and struggling at it. And it's a real gritty realism to this fight that I appreciate. I haven't seen a lot in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, and that's, that's a theme of this show is, you know, we, I think we've talked about this before, probably not on pod, is that what we've really been seeing in the Star Wars universe are the elite of the elite. Yes. Battling for the fate of the, the entire universe. This, mm. is just, this is just normal folks. Yeah, this is an average Joe wrestling in the mud to get an egg. That yeah. is a very different world we've seen before in Star Wars. And also, I think it almost re- reflects the difference in perspective we've had before, of where, like you said, very much the wealthy elite, but it's always, always, always done through a bit of a mythical lens of where this was a distant recounting of a story with always opening with a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Like it's, you know, Homer passing down the ancient tales about the Trojans and this, mm-hmm. we don't have that opening. It's much more in the moment kind of style. And so we get a lot more realistic depiction rather than the classic myth building that we saw previously. Yep. Absolutely. Mando gets up, looks like he's resigned to death. He's got a, a spear out and he just kind of looks down and it's like, Oh God, I'm screwed. <clears throat> but as the rhino charges, potential moment of the series. Uh, I love these we moments so much. We cut to the pod. Great shot here. It's a side shot of the pod. All we see is the three fingers in one hand of little baby Yoda come up, and the rhino is stopped. He's lifted into the air, and he's slowly brought over to Mando. It is such a powerful moment. It is such an amazing moment. I mean, we've talked before about The Force Awakens being a mixed bag of a film, but having some great nostalgic moments. This, to me, is like when Rey first pulls that lightsaber to herself right before she fights Kylo Ren. Of which were those moments of where you just imagine everyone in the theater is just standing up and cheering. Or when Luke does it, right? Uh, oh, to that snow monster on, ta- on, oh, on Hoth. The, the Wampa, yeah. It's just... I love these moments of the Force of War. It's not about the backflips of the acrobatics. It's just about the sudden magic coming into the world. And those are just such powerful moments to see. And yet, this is a cheer, one of the top five moments of the entire series. Gotta be. Yeah, and this is when I knew I was going to love it. I liked the first episode. But when I saw Baby Yoda do this, I thought, okay, they're going to a place here with this character that is going to be really, really good. This, and then how the other characters talk about it later, made the series for me. I was committed. We watched like six episodes in a row after we watched this one. Yeah, we did. We blew through it in like a day and a half. Yeah. Uh, Baby Yoda then collapses. The rhino falls to the ground. It's in perfect uh, position for Mando to stab it in the jugular. The rhino dies. And Mando's looking around like, what in the high hell just happened? And this is what you were referencing just a second ago, Spencer. I don't think Mando has any idea what the Force is. Yeah, and that is so fascinating. Because we've seen before the Mandalorians are part of the cultural awareness, even though they've been kind of eradicated. But when you really think about it, there were, you know... Millions of Mandalorians. They were an entire culture and freaking species. For the Jedi, they were at their like their height, like 10,000 of them, and they were mostly centered around the core. So it makes sense that a lot of people would have no concept of the Force, or the Jedi Order, or anything else, particularly now in the post-Imperial area where they were eradicated already anyway. But we've just never seen that before. We've never seen how much, like you said, an elitist kind of lens we've had into the Star Wars universe previously. Completely agree. Mando goes back into the cage, finds the egg, brings it back to the Jawas who are just about to leave. The Jawas freak out. And Spencer, as a man, 
that I am who yep. loves a runny egg yolk. Mm-hmm. Love a runny egg yolk. Uh, this egg looks pretty good to me. This looks I, good. I, I can picture you having the exact same reaction the Jawas do. It's just, you know, you're holding it above your head. You don't even wait to get on the sand crawl where it's like, we're eating now. Open it with our hands. Eat it give, now. Give me this runny egg yolk. I'll put it over everything. Pasta, rice, whatever. I love a runny egg yolk. And again, this was a laugh out loud moment for me because I was still investing in, okay, I'm not sure what they're going to use this egg for, but it's going to be something related to the... <laughs> it's one of a happy hour, basically. <laughs> not what I was anticipating, and that was just great. It's just like, this, this is again the reason that um, our ungock friend, whose name I can never remember, um, Quill? 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 Yep. Quill. That he was doing a full facepalm moment when they originally announced this. Because not only is it, not only will they never stop talking about it, not only is it really damn hard, but again, they're just looking for a fix. Yeah, they just they just want a good meal, and they yeah. they commence to eating it uh, in hilarious fashion. There's no utensils; it's just handfuls of runny egg yolks covering um, themselves into the face, and everybody is just kind of freaking out. Uh, uh, Mando goes back to Quill. He says, "I'm surprised you waited." Quill, I'm surprised you took so long. <laughs> Great this line. is one of the many times, though, that the Mandalorian's reputation as a Mandalorian gets thrown in his face. Yes. That, as you said, like we've talked about, they the, the reputation of the Mandalorians precedes them wherever they go. And it leads to a lot of assumption about what they're capable of, maybe beyond their abilities. Because, let's be fair here, Mando was dead to rights. He was going to die. He was clearly, like... You can imagine whatever he was saying ahead was probably reciting a death rite as he's holding that little blade in front of it. So one of the things that occurred to me when I watched this episode the first time is that as a Mandalorian, as someone who is reasonably successful, I mean, he's not like, to your point, he's not like the best bounty hunter. He's not Boba Fett. Yeah. But he's reasonably successful. The fact that he just got murked by some wild animal and a two foot nothing baby had to save him. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that had to humble him in a way. And I imagine that interaction changed him. I think if we saw Mando five years ago, mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure he would treat Baby Yoda the way he's treating him in the next three episodes. I think that's very true. And I think it informs what we see as a bit of a shift in his character as we, as we are going forward towards a bit more, like you said, humility and also a sense of generosity that um, we didn't really have an insight into outside of his own people and his own cluster. I think his sense of who are his people is broadening as a result of Yoda. Yep. Yep. Completely agree. Um, changes him. Definitely changes him. I think that's a seminal moment for him. And Baby Yoda is still sleeping. So it was clear that, you he wore know, him out. well, but what's interesting is like, remember, like Luke was pretty strong in the force by the time he got to Dagobah mm-hmm. and was training with uh, Yoda and the Empire Strikes Back, but he couldn't lift the X-Wing mm-hmm. for this child to lift this animal and slowly move him over. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that, that takes an awful lot of um, force ability. And so it, it's not surprising it kind of knocked him out a little bit. It's not the only time we ever see him do this, by the way. It, it's also one of those things, too, of where I think that Baby Yoda has like an instinctual idea of what he can do. Like he has an understanding of what he's capable of in the force. But I don't think we have much of a basis to think that he's done a hell of a lot previously. Uh, this, you know, this, I think this is probably his biggest use of the force he's ever done in his life. And one can fully understand why that would burn him out real damn bad for what appears to be at least the next day or two. Yeah, I don't, I don't get the sense that he's, he's really doing this in a, a super conscious way. Yeah, I think it's just like he, he's so strong in the force that like 
it's just like you said, instinctual for him to just hold his hand up and say, Oh, I know, I know what I can do here. Right. He's not thinking in the way that like maybe someone like Luke or, or somebody who's trained later in life have to with right. the force where it's like, I, I, okay, I need to use the force here. Let me use the force. This kid's just doing it because he does it. Right. It's like the sense that you and I have hands. That's how we use to interact with objects in our universe. Right. He has the force. That's yep. how he interacts with the universe. Yep. Well put. Uh, so they're walking back and Mando and Quill both say they don't have any idea what happened with the rhino. Yeah. So it's clear that Mando filled Quill in and Quill was like, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but Quill was asking after Baby Yoda to see if he was still sleeping. Uh, again, I just don't think either he or Quill have heard of the Force. Now, we do have a moment in a later episode where Quill kind of references that he's heard something like this at one point. And I like that scene, and we'll get to it on that episode. But it, I think that's really realistic in the universe. That like Somebody well-read like Quill might go, I think I heard about that one time, maybe. Yeah, and we'll, we'll talk about that scene in Unpack It, because there's some implication that Quill may have been indirectly involved in some of the events we saw in the mainline series. But that's something we can debate when it comes to it. Yeah. But again, I mean, for the point of this episode, it's that the Force is not widely known throughout the universe at all. And this is just evidence of it. Mm -hmm. You get back to Mando's ship with all the parts that Jawa took. And (laughs) Mando, yet again, inept, says, well, there's nobody here to fix it. I don't have a mechanic. This is like me when my car breaks down. Well, I I guess I don't have a car anymore. Yeah. (laughs) And Quill says, now, shut up, stupid. I'm going to help you fix it. And Quill does. I've had so many of these exact conversations with one of Bridget's. Um, if you, you ever have that neighbor growing up that you essentially essentially is an uncle just because he's always been part of your family, even though you're not related to him. Uh, Bridget's yeah, got yeah. one of those in terms of a long-term older neighbor has been around who can do anything. He's that classic, you know, like 75-year-old guy who just knows how to fix everything in his world. I have an actual uncle like that, yeah. Yeah, but I, it's always great conversations with him where I'll call him saying, okay, um, this thing is broken, I don't really know how to fix it. And he'll, in detail, describe every step I need to do, to which my response is, okay, so I don't know even what the words you were used on the first step, so let's start there. Yeah. Well, my, my actual uncle, shout out Uncle Billy, he, uh, he is just like completely dismissive of you. So he takes the opposite track. <laughs> like you call him and you're like, hey, my, uh, you know, my uh, you know, dryer broke down. Mm-hmm. And he goes, well, let me get over there because you'll just screw it up if you touch it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. So funny. But anyway, Mando thanks Quill because they do get the ship working again. Tries to pay him. Quill refuses. He says, you're my guest. You know, I'm, I'm at your service. Mando attempts to then hire Quill, which pff, I would too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a good call. Uh, but Quill refuses that too. Apparently, Quill is retired. Mando thanks Quill. Uh, he says, that's all I can do. I can just give him my thanks. It's, it's, interesting, to, it's interesting too how Quill refers to the when he, when he refuses the offer. He appreciates the offer, but he says something along the lines of "after a lifetime of servitude," as, yep. is how he opens the line. Which, what we've previously seen as the Ugnaughts suggests they weren't necessarily in the best state, but this kind of reinforces that is that their lot in life is not great, and the the idea that he's found a found a way out of that is something he's never going to trade off again, even if it's working for somebody like Mando. Yeah, that's good. I'm glad you made that point because I think I, I probably didn't use the right phrase there because he, he's not really retired. It's more like he's freed. Yeah, it's like it's, he's a, essentially a bondsman who's bought his freedom kind of thing. Yep, that kind of thing. Uh, Quill, good luck with the child. May it survive and give you a handsome reward. Uh-huh. I have spoken. <laughs> and he rides off into the sunset while Mando takes off into orbit. On he to does. our next adventure. He does. And, and yeah, that's a... 
That's so funny because that's exactly how the show is like, okay, we wrapped up this little adventure on to next week. It's very like 1980s, you know, like 30 minute cartoon in that way. And uh, I'll wrap it up. Uh, He Mm -hmm. says, uh, as they take off, one thing I noted here before the episode wraps up is Mando keeps looking back at Baby Yoda. Um, And I, again, I think this speaks to when Baby Yoda saved his life, it, it created something different in him and he keeps Wondering if he's going to wake up. He even jostles him at one point, trying to get him to wake up. And thank the good Lord above, Baby Yoda does wake up. Boom, end of episode. There's. Have you ever heard the term, uh, probably the channel, but the term Nickelodeon before? Nickelodeon? Yeah, I've watched Nickelodeon. Yeah. Well, do you know what the term... It actually is a word in the English language. Uh, oh, that, no. It's older. Uh, and Nickelodeon was going back to like the early part of the 20th century. When you wanted to watch a moving picture... You could go up to what looked like a pair of binoculars that were inserted in the wall with a hand crank, and you could insert a nickel. And if you turn the crank, you could watch a little moving picture of typically like a little 30-second minute kind of serial about cowboys and Indians or something along those lines, something very pulpy. I've done that in a museum, yep. Yeah, that's a classic example. These are very much structure around that kind of thing, of where it is a quick, pulpy, action-oriented kind of adventure. And that is so appropriate because both George Lucas and Steven Spielberg, when they're talking about both making um, the original Star Wars and also Indiana Jones, said that their inspiration was Nickelodeons and things like Flash Gordon, those classic pulpy works of action um, Americana. And I like that this is really harkening back to those, some, some of those moments. Like you said, with always ending on the line, the adventure continues for our next episode. Yep. And that's exactly what they end on okay any thoughts on the episode before we hit our segments like you this was the episode that really invested me in the series the first one was good i didn't really i i enjoyed it enough i thought it was successful what i wanted it wanted to be but i wasn't really necessarily invested in it yet with this one i was committed i was engrossed i was so curious where things were going to go i was feeling that nostalgic aspect of my star wars fandom just bubbling to the surface and i was in for the long haul from here Yep, I completely agree. Yeah, it, it, it's the one that I, I felt like the series turned a corner with this episode, but it also just cemented, I think, in the cultural zeitgeist, Baby Yoda. Because yes. first episode, people didn't really know what to do with it. I was watching this week by week. You watched it later. Mm-hmm. But when this episode aired, that's when I would go on Reddit. That's when I would go on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and see the Baby Yoda memes. Yes. They already started after this episode. Now they ramp way up as it goes on. But this is where it got in the cultural zeitgeist. And I thought that was um, probably the, the, the most important part of the episode for me. I agree. And with the first episode, we couldn't really be sure whether Baby Yoda was going to be a character or a MacGuffin in terms of what his role in the plot was going to be. With this one, it was much more clearly established that, no, 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 he's part of this story now. We're going to develop him. You're going to see what he can do in the world. And that people are down with. So after this episode, everybody started to love Baby Yoda. Yes. Tons of memes. And I remember joking with my wife and saying, wouldn't it be just hilarious if Favreau introduced this character, had no idea it was going to get this popular, and killed it off in episode six, (laughs) and now is just panicking? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, we we can't rewrite it. We can't refilm it. It's already in the can. What can we do? We can't kill... What are we going to... Can it be like a Thanos thing? Can we just go back? Yeah. Can we quickly film an epilogue that suddenly resurrects him? What are our options here? I can't move to I can't move to a foreign country right now. I don't want to do that. God, yeah. Can you imagine the pitchforks that would come out if he killed Baby Yoda? Oh, oh God. Yeah. 
Anyway, all right, that is episode two of Disney Plus's Mandalorian called The Child, or we have renamed it Baby Yoda. Let's get to our segments. Spencer, do you have any um, nominees for line of the episode? I have a few. Uh, and I'm purposely going to do a couple ones that you didn't do uh, or you didn't emphasize in, in, the, uh, sh- in our run through the recap. Um, well, it has to be said, I have spoken is one of the greatest lines in the English language. Needs yep. to be repeated every time it's said. Yep, there was Shakespeare, yep. All right. Other ones I enjoyed were, I really, like I said, loved the reactions to the characters of their bafflement about the Force. Of when, after the situation with the egg and the job was having their chat-on party has happened, and they're hauling the ludicrous amount of gear that the Jawas have now returned on um, Quill's... It's not really a speeder, it's kind of like a hover transport that he has that he's pulling behind his... Uh, mm-hmm. Blurg? Is that the name of those things? Yep, Blurg, yep. Uh, he turns back over his shoulder and says... Explain it to me again. I still don't understand what happened. And Mando, in a, it's an interesting line because he'd previously come across as so stoic, but you can almost just imagine behind his helmet, there's just this kind of misty-eyed zoning out way of mm-hmm. when, when he says it, of where he just yep. says, neither do I. I love the degree of just magical confusion that's happening in that moment. It's a greatly spoken line by both characters. Um, last one for me is just a funny line of where, like you said, Mando's just... Like, unless we've got a starport, I don't even know what we're going to do here. As he says, this is going to take days to... F- we don't even have a starport. This is going to take days to fix. And Quill just looks at him and says, if you care to help, it might go faster. <laughs> Great line. So those are my three nominees. What you got? Uh, I've got, this is what was causing all the fuss. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised you waited. I'm surprised you took so long. <laughs> and then, <laughs> um, good luck with the child. May it survive and give you a handsome reward. I have spoken. Now, I'm going to tell you, I have, typically on my notes, I bold what I think is going to be the best line of the episode. Mm-hmm. I have bolded, this is what was causing all the fuss. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you, you have changed my mind. Really? Yes. I w- instead would like to do the exchange between Quill and Mando about what happened with the rhino. Can you repeat it for everybody? Explain it to me again. I still don't understand what happened. Neither do I. Great sequence. I think that that really encapsulates the episode. It, that was one of the moments that just made me fall in love with this series. And it's just it's it's not a significant line necessarily, but this the the setting of the scene and how the characters say it out and just tying it into the same kind of response I always have to the force whenever I see it. It's just wonderful. Nope. Yep. And I didn't catch it, but when you called it out, I, yep, that's got to be the line of the episode. So that's the line of the episode. Let's go to nostalgic moment of the episode. I will start with mine, which is just Baby Yoda using the Force. And that's, that's top of the list for me. I'm going to say a few other ones that I really enjoyed, but that, again, whenever I see the Force laid out like that, again, not the ninja Black Flippy ship we saw in the prequels, but these just kind of moments oh, of shit. magic. Shade. It, it, it annoys me to see the Force just always portrayed like that, like it's, a physical, like it's just physical abilities, whatever else. To see it portrayed as magic is just wonderful. I love these kind of moments. Like you said, when Luke first pull, uses the Force to pull his lightsaber to fight the Wampa, when Rey is uh, pulling the lightsaber to fight Kylo Ren, this moment right here, or when the God, when the moment when Yoda lifts the X-Wing above us all. These are the moments with just take your breath away, and they're just so wonderful to say. And I also think that portrayals of the Force resonate with the Star Wars fandom more when it's unexpected or yes. even unexpected to the person doing it. Mm-hmm. And to my point earlier, I, I'm not. I think Baby Yoda instinctually knew. I think I can do this. I'm not sure he really. It might have even been a surprise to him he was doing it. 
Because mm-hmm. it's just, he's so young. It just doesn't, I, I don't know what it was like for him. But for the audience, it was a complete shock. And that is always um, going to hit you uh, as a Star Wars fan when the Force is portrayed. I like the prequels, but you're right. Yoda doing backflips doesn't really <laughs> hit the same notes as Yoda lifting the X-Wing. It doesn't have the same power. It's just like, it's one of those things where if you have something that's wonderful, use it conservatively. Don't don't just shove it in your audience's faces. It makes it so much more impactful when it's moments like this of where there is a build and a moment of climax attached with it. And that's just better filmmaking, I think, more than anything else. Um, but, in t- I mean, it, uh, we go through a list of other wonderful nostalgic moments, but I think we both can agree that seeing Jawas again is just such a damn treat. Yeah, that's definitely honorable mention. It's just so much fun to see them. And so much fun to see them in a different light of where the reason that they've been so successful and it took probably an entire Imperial Army to take them down last time is that these guys are plucky. These guys mm-hmm. have some skill. They're, to be a scavenger at the bottom of the food chain, you've got to be capable of surviving in some manner. And that when Mando refers to them traveling in an armored fortress, I never really had seen a sand crawler in that light. But yeah, it totally tanks its disintegration beam. We saw obliterate people before, and he has to struggle to fight them with it and ultimately loses. Um, so yeah, it's great to see them. Like we said, seeing Vader's justification for no disintegrations played out is also just lovely. Can we go back to the Jawas for a second? Because I want to yeah, talk please. about their economic model. Because uh, <laughs> they clearly just scavenge, meaning they take things, they don't destroy things, as we talked about before. They repurpose them and they sell them, like you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, you remember in The Force Awakens when one of the openings, I think it's the first time we see Rey, she's like at a, some sort of like starship wreck. Mm-hmm. And she's grabbing certain things, and then she's trying to repurpose it and sell it for food. Yeah. So what what struck me when I watched this, I was like, wow, like the Jawas are like, like the the fucking Jeff Bezos of that model. <laughs> they have it <laughs> of down. What, of what Ray was trying to do, they yeah. they have this thing nailed. Ray is an intern at the company compared to these CEO motherfuckers. They yep. know this trade. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was a really a lot of fun to see them. Like like we just said, it's just nice to see them that clearly the guy the guys making this are fe- such fans of the mythos that we just see Trendoshan so appropriately brought in as bounty hunters. Just even as an off moment. Yep. It's just so clearly saying we're in a Star Wars universe. Disintegrations um, are lovely in terms of seeing that finally portrayed on screen and how horrifying it is. Um, I loved the very much homage to Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade of when they're he's trying to board the sand man just trying to board the sand crawler and they're trying to drive him into the wall, which is great given Lucas's involvement in that series. That's fun. And one just really minor one I want to mention because it also it's more clearly shown later. That blade that Mando pulled when he was fighting the Mudhorn. Did you notice anything interesting about it? I did not. No. Uh, go back and watch it. It's uh, a blur. It's a constant vibrating blur. And that is such a nice little reference to Star Wars that they've never seen on the screen before, of where well-made blades used by professional people like Han Solo carries one in his boot are vibro blades, of where they have a constant vibrating effect to give them extra cutting power, to make them cut people cutting through almost Ooh. any metal or circumstance. Ooh. And you'll see it more clearly in, one of the next, in the next episode when you see a couple of the um, Mandalorian's fightings. They almost hum a little bit. But these are very obviously vibro blades. That's such a little... Again, it's such a demonstration these guys are such fans of the Missos that they'd even kn- know enough to include something like that in there. More powerful than Valerian Steel. <laughs> Wouldn't go that far. I mean, there are limits on, on even Star Wars technology, but still very <laughs> impressive. But Very, yeah. very good list of nostalgic moments, but I think that your um, 
by, by detailing it that way, it, it hits something that I've no, like I noticed early on and I, it, by the time the series was over, was really firm in my mind, which is I'm so glad John Favreau was the showrunner because Damn straight. at his core, if you hear him talk about Star Wars or you watch this series, he's just a fan like me and you. Yeah. And it's, he great. just happens to be really, really good at storytelling, but he's a fan like we are. It's so awesome to see somebody like that get permission to do a show like this. Because, you know, that's a risk. They often don't want to give a diehard fan the material or an opportunity to run the thing. Because they might be worried that they'll be more interested in actually doing justice to the mythos than rather than doing justice to the bottom line. So, you know, credit to Disney here that they gave John Favreau permission and clearly a lot of free reign to run this series because it's just awesome to see it done. Yeah, and I mean, that gamble paid off because this is like the most streamed uh, series of 2019. <clears throat> I'm not sure it's going to reach Tiger King numbers. Uh, I watched the first episode of that. We'll talk, we'll talk about that off camera. <laughs> Maybe we can do a Tiger King episode. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's not getting those numbers in 2020, I don't think. But it was the most streamed show in 2019, which really impressive. Yeah, and I'm recommending it to everybody now. It's particularly on my on my rewatch. I'm like, you know what? I really enjoyed watching this with Lee, but now watching it just with time to digest it, this is really well done. More exactly. people should yep. see this. Yeah, and it's funny because I was having that thought when you were watching it the first time mm-hmm. with me. I was like, oh, this is my like I think second or third time watching it. I'm like, wow, there's a lot of Easter eggs in here. Yeah, that's one. Of the, that's a wonderful thing to see in a show where not only does it hold up on a second watching, but you really get to appreciate what a wonderful work it is. Yep. All right. Well, that is our recap, our review of Mandalorian, episode two, Baby Yoda. <laughs> enjoy like doing always. you. Enjoy doing this with you, Spencer. We'll try to get another one out next week, and also check out Manga Reads and check out our Coronavirus weekly episodes on Whiskey on the Weekends. Thanks everybody for listening. See ya. <laughs>